Whiskey Podcast. I'm here, DJ, along with my co-host, Mark. Hello. And we've got a pretty interesting topic this week. I, I'm kind of excited. Mark, we, we took a, a week break from recording, and it uh, feels good to get you know back into the swing of things. What do you say, Mark? Well, yes, it, you know, it was good to have a week off. I know you went on vacation, and then I went on vacation the following week, uh, recharged the batteries, uh, so that, that's always good. And we're refocused here on our topic this week. We're going to do redneck anime. We're, you know, we're going to do uh, professional wrestling. <laughs> and one of my personal uh, favorite dirty little secrets that I enjoy. And, you know, it was good. I mean, you, you've been uh, editing like a madman. You, you, you know, we were really releasing on Fridays. We got that down to a science. And just good to be back here in uh, the summer kitchen studios that I have set up and be chatting with you. Oh, yeah. It, it feels great to, to be back in the swing of things. I don't know if we've actually announced it on the podcast. Um, we kind of record these like two or three weeks ahead of time. But in the time since we recorded the last one and this one, uh, we're out on iTunes. We're out on iTunes. We're out on uh, Spotify. We're, of course, on our website. Uh, we are looking at both Podomatic and Podbean. Uh, Podomatic's a little simpler. Podbean, I, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what they want from us. Uh, but yeah, it, pretty much if you want to hear us, you can for the most part. Yeah, I'm kind of casually looking into iHeartRadio on the side, but I think they mostly do podcast hosting. I'm going to have to check it out. But basically, if for whatever reason you can't find us somewhere, just email us at thewittenwhiskeycast uh, at gmail.com, and we'll figure out a way to inject ourselves into your ears. Yeah, exactly. And, and since Mark mentioned it, if you've got topics you think it would be interesting for us to chat about or whiskeys you want to recommend we review feel free to hit us up again that's the the wit and whiskey cast at gmail.com we're also on facebook and on instagram both of them are just the wit and whiskey cast uh no h in wit and uh there is an e in whiskey <laughs> so uh you just punch those in you'll see the really cool profile picture that dj made up a few weeks ago and Drop us a line. Let us know what's going on. And by very cool, he means uh, it looks like a yield sign at a Renaissance fair. But that's okay. That's okay. I like the font. To be fair, there was, I, I don't want to say disagreement, but there was discussion over the font. I, I like the old-timey font. Uh, I know DJ isn't as crazy about it as I am, but he was a good sport about it. But if you see it, drop us a line. Let us know if you like it or don't like it. One of us look at the gloat on the air. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, Mark, how was your uh, how's your week? How was your vacation? What you been up to? Uh, it wasn't bad. I'm not much of a beach guy, as you well know. But it was good to get away, good to recharge the batteries. So we have that. Uh, came back to uh, well about the end of last week. Got a little bit of work done before the week was over. Came down and hung out this weekend. Watched a little wrestling. You know, we're, we're already breaking kayfabe, which is a, a wrestling term we'll get into later. We're talking about our recording schedule. Uh, I bumped us a day later because I had about 57 things to do on our normal recording day. And then luckily, since DJ was nice enough to accommodate me, I was able to watch a pay-per-view. And, you know, hopefully if we have time today, we'll get a little review of that. <clears throat> and then this morning, I finally got the Roadster fixed. I had busted up the front end pretty good on these, you know, wonderful Pennsylvania roads, but the old man came over and we were able to get it all fixed up. So we got that going for us. Oh, what about awesome. you? Did you do anything? 
Not a ton. I, I, you know, I've had some back issues going on for a while, nothing critical, but uh, I finally took the plunge, went to a chiropractor last week, and I can move as if I'm not walking on eggshells, so that feels pretty great. Yeah, that's um, got to be a nice change of pace. It, it is. It's been like a year of just like off and on, like s- some sort of issue with my back, and, and it's been... It's been nice the past few days to not have to worry too much about it. But then, of course, like any halfway crazy martial artist will tell you, uh, as soon as our body is working, we want to throw it into doing something that is probably overkill. So I had my dad over and we crawled up into my attic and installed a hammock mount in the ceiling of my attic which took the better part of two hours in a rather stuffy attic. Uh, there, there isn't a lot of ventilation up there. But we ended up completely finishing the giant renovation we were doing in the library. So it's all the bookcases are back along the wall. I think we've got 16, 16 maybe? Yeah, the, in the pictures in the video you posted, they never end. No, I mean, no, they my don't. My jealousy was, knew no bounds this morning when I was <laughs> at them. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun to just see it all done. It's been a long project. I, I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been, but I'm not much of a, a DIY guy, and I had to kind of do some of my own drywall, which, woof, guys, zero out of ten would not recommend. Um, drywall sucks. Yeah, it's not great, but ultimately it paid off. It feels really good to have a hammock in there. That That sucker ain't coming down unless the house falls down, so... <laughs> that feels really good. And um, I'll just say, I'll, I'll put DJ over a little bit here. You know, looking at the, the videos and, and the photos, uh, you should all be thankful that it was DJ that did it and not me because if I had access to a facility like that, nobody would ever see my fat ass again. <laughs> I would just be in the hammock reading for all of eternity. So Yeah, I definitely, I, I'm working from home full time now, so uh, I went... And just hung out in the hammock for 40 minutes at lunch today, just hanging out. And yeah, it was great. Yeah, it's it's a really sweet setup and uh, you should be proud of yourself. It came out really nice. It did. Uh, so now I got to fi- finish my office and a kitchen closet and my deck and the house projects never end. But that's neither Wait, here nor there. Didn't you just say, you know, you just have to jump right back into everything full tilt. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> Literally two minutes later. There it is. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's that. And now I think we can get into uh, the quasi-educational port, the beginning educational port of our program, uh, our reviews. Yeah, Mark, what are you drinking? Yeah, we'll save yours for last, because I don't even know what AJ's, or AJ, what DJ's drinking this week. I don't know what AJ's drinking either. He doesn't drink much. Uh, but I don't know what DJ's drinking this week. He hasn't uh, given me any hints. I am uh, going back to my more traditional wheelhouse. I'm drinking Redemption Rye this week. Just their entry-level stuff, and this is another of my favorite sayings. It's another good mediocre rye, another good entry-level rye. It's not going to break the bank. It's in the 25 to $30 range, depending on whether or not there's a sale. At least here in Pennsylvania, we pay more for whiskey because of the Johnstown flood. Uh, but what I like about Redemption is it hits you really strong in the mouth with rye. Like, your first instinct is... Okay, this is a lot of rye in here. It's high rye content. But then it mellows out and mellows out and mellows out and mellows out. And then at the end, you kind of get a little vanilla and a little allspice and there's maybe even a little toffee with it. That's awesome. So, uh, you know, it starts off really like oof. And then at the end, you, you get that nice smoothness. You get that nice aftertaste at the end. 
Also this week, since I'm pretty much not fully recovered, but more than 90% recovered from my oral surgery, only a month later, <laughs> uh, I'm finally getting to do what I vowed to do since we've started this podcast. I'm enjoying a glass of rye with a nice cigar. So you may hear me inhaling from time to time as we record this. Uh, and that's nice because you get the hints of the tobacco and the spice. And I, I'm currently drinking uh, a Toscano-style cigar. The Rossettis, we're from Toscano. We're from Tuscany. Uh, Garibaldi smoked these, allegedly, when he united uh, Italy in the latter part of the 19th century. Yeah, I know so, who that is. Yeah, in the red shirts. So, uh, you know, they in Kentucky, they call these a, a chair root. They don't really call them a cigar, but uh, in, in Italy, we call them Toscano styles. They're, they're ugly. Basically, if you ever saw uh, any Clint Eastwood movie, it's what he smokes, those, you know, skinny, hand-rolled, ugly things. Uh, but I'm having one of those today, and with a rye or a bourbon, it's a nice little compliment. Now, if I had a brandy, I'd get something a little better, a little something a little bit more expensive. But for a rye, you want something a little coarse to go with the smoothness at the end. Nice. So, all right. Now, you have the floor. What What is your, your uh, big experimentation this week? I'm dying to know. Now, now, I should preface this. It's not a huge experimentation, but I uh, dug out my old bartending book from my class earlier this year, and I was kind of flipping through it, and I got to a big section in the book around um, three-to-one cocktails. Uh, you know, anybody who's a fan of cocktail culture, you know, you've probably seen The Big Lebowski. You know about the White Russian. You might know about the Gimlet. Uh, and they're all three-to-one cocktails. And there is a class of three-to-one cocktails known as the Stinger. And I uh, took a look at the Stinger, and I... I wanted something that would go with a really nice brandy. And uh, the, a standard stinger is a three-to-one of uh, brandy and white creme de menthe. Uh, and honestly, I couldn't imagine that showcasing a, a nice brandy. You know, maybe, maybe something uh, from the well. That, this might have turned into a Tales from the Well if I had gone that direction. So what I did instead is I went with a variant on the Stinger, and I went with a Galliano Stinger. Galliano is uh, one of my personal favorite uh, liqueurs. It's it's an Italian liqueur. It's it's golden in color. It comes with just a baseball bat of a bottle. It, it's great. If you're ever uh, in a bar fight, which I don't recommend you get in, but uh, if you need to grab for a bottle, grab the Galliano one. And a lot of people are hesitant to kind of use a nice liquor in a cocktail because... You know, you, you, you lose some of the purity, you know, quote unquote. Uh, so what I did is I did a taste test of the uh, brandy I picked up ahead of time. Uh, and what I did is I got a Boulard Calvados brandy. It's a VSOP, which I had to actually look up, which stands for Very Special Superior Old Pale. That terminology means that, uh, you know, generally cognac, brandy, they're blends of a bunch of different vintages. And uh, VSOP is kind of, you know, one of those, it's like mid-range, not, not quite top-of-the-line brandy, but VSOP means that the youngest part of the blend uh, can be no younger than five years old. So that's kind of cool. Uh, so I got a, a Boulard Calvados VSOP. A, a Calvados is a brandy out of the Normandy region of France. This one happens to be apple-based, uh, and it's uh, it's really good. It's got like some really rich fruity notes. It's not, uh, I, I don't really like something that just burns and keeps burning. 
So it's it's just a very smooth drink on the palate. Uh, you get a lot of wood. You get some apple notes in there. It's kind of got a, a nice bold um, taste on the palate. It mellows nicely with some vanilla at the end. Uh, it's 80 proof. And I turned it into a stinger after I initially tasted it. So uh, it's a shaken cocktail, three to one. So it's uh, an ounce and a half of the brandy and half an ounce of Galliano. Uh, shake well, unlike a gimlet or a martini where you should stir them. And I'm sure we'll talk about shaken versus stirred in a later episode. Uh, yes. Stingers are always shaken. They, the uh, brandy and the liqueur don't like to go together, so you really need that the extra air and the, you know, the smashing to bits that you get. But I really wanted to kind of be able to taste it throughout uh, our session tonight. So I uh, double-strained it into a rocks glass over some whiskey stones. So it's, it'll keep it nice and cold, but I'm not going to get a ton of dilution uh, going on. So it was really good. Uh, I recommend both the uh, Boulard Calvados and uh, a Galliano Stinger. I, I chose this cocktail because it's a bit of a rarity in the cocktail game. You'll find that most bars don't have Galliano because it is such a giant bottle and hard to keep around. And uh, it, it, it's, it's golden color, so it kind of it kind of matches the brandy, but you get a little bit of this like neon nuclear yellow going on, which is kind of interesting. So yeah, highly recommend it. Galliano Stinger. It's, it's a good go-to two-ingredient cocktail. That sounds pretty good, actually. I'll have to, next time I'm down at the liquor store, probably this week to get something for next week's episode. I'll have to check out, see if they have any Galliano. They'll, you know, being that we're in Pennsylvania, they'll probably look at me like I have 12 heads, but you never know. Yeah, um, I found it's kind of a stopgap, you know, both for you, Mark, and, and our listeners. If you if you want to find Galliano, they do technically make a fifth of it, but I've never seen it. Uh, you can usually only find the the big the big bottle, or you can find like nips. Okay. Nips, nips of Galliano are a great way to experience it because they're just a normal nip size bottle. Now there's an idea. I'm going to write that down right now. Uh, yeah, it's pretty tasty. We're recording this. Nips of Galliano. So it's an all Italian uh, episode of Wit and Whiskey. You've got Italian cigars and a Italian liqueur. Yeah, an Italian liqueur over a Normandy uh, brandy. So, uh, that you know, that's interesting. I... I have a newfound appreciation for brandy drinkers this week because I went to a liquor store to find something nice that I could uh, kind of taste for all of you. And not only do they have like brandies and cognacs, but then brandy, depending on the region, is called a billion different things. Like I had never heard of Calvados before I bought it this weekend. So it, it definitely educated me on, on, you know, I'm looking at the bottle and like, there is nothing on here that says it's brandy. Am I sure I know what I'm buying? And I had to like look it up. Well, that's an important uh, little bit of consumer advice there because Lord knows sometimes I go in and just go, ooh, what's this? And then, you know, you get it home and go, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's a good call there. Yeah, if you're not sure you're going to like it, I definitely recommend getting something a little bit lower on the shelf for brandy uh, if you're going to try a stinger. Um uh, interesting enough, uh, if you want to try like a more, um, you know, a, a less French Italian mix, uh, you can go with an international stinger, which uses Metaxa, uh, which is a, a Greek brandy. So just some some cocktail trivia there. Basically, all of the EU will be represented in this stinger. Yes. 
Nothing wrong with that. So, Mark, we're talking about the pro wrestling. The pro wrestling. Oh, woof. Uh, I mean, okay, so I have... I, I have a small appreciation for it. I don't generally watch pro wrestling at all. You're not alone, as we'll discuss. Yeah, uh, I I find it a very interesting topic. I'm never gonna you know yuck any yums on our podcast, but I mean I I come at the idea of pro wrestling from the uh, the the angle of like being a martial artist, having gone through years and years of training, and and kind of seeing it as something of like a goofy. Uh, like over the top, you know, sweaty dudes just hitting each other with chairs kind of thing. So, like, l- let's kick it off. Like, Mark, isn't it all just fake? Like, they no. aren't really hitting each other with chairs, right? See, this is the important distinction, and it's one that I even did not really appreciate until I was older, you know, really even into high school. Uh, it's not fake. It's scripted. It's uh, in the industry they call it worked. It's the first of many of the insider terms we're going to talk about today. Uh, in that, yes, the outcomes are predetermined. A good number of the high spots or big moves, in layman's terms, in the match are known going in. But they do all the moves. You know, if, if we were to go and do, you know, the the Mrs. Skull crushing finale, you know, I actually would come over and grapevine your leg and put my arm around your neck and we would fall forward. And, you know, if you didn't know how to fall and how to land, you'd smash your face off the ground. They, they do hit each other with chairs. They do hit each other with blunt instruments. Many of them are uh, gimmicked in the industry, what they call gimmicked in that they are designed to break easier or to fold a certain way, or to uh, not hit. Generally, the quote-unquote steel chairs that are gimmicked are of a very thin aluminum composite, and they dent and they absorb energy. But a lot of it is knowing how to take a hit. A lot of it is knowing how to uh, fall. And some of it just hurts. You know, you watch a Ric Flair match, and he's chopping the living hell out of people, and Later on in the match, they have big red welts on their chest because he really was just slapping them as hard as he could in the chest. <laughs> so it's a little of all three, but injuries are very real. Serious injuries are very real. Wrestlers have been paralyzed in the ring. Wrestlers have been killed in the ring. The best way to describe it is it's basically a movie stunt scene done in one take with people on all four sides. Wow. Okay, so not completely fake, but... Not not organic. No, not at all. All right, take me back. How did all this crap start? Well, this is interesting, and when we picked this topic, I immediately began digging for this article because I knew I had it saved somewhere, and I found it. There is an article in the April 2014 issue of Scientific American magazine. You can punch it in your Google machines, and it'll come up. <laughs> and the earliest recorded worked match we have goes all the way back to ancient Greece uh, when it was a, a Roman territory but still uh, it goes back to 267 uh, CE uh, and it was two uh, Greek wrestlers and I'm going to butcher their names because unlike my museum colleague Allison I don't speak a- ancient Greek <laughs> uh, Nicocantus and Demetrius 
and the agreement was for uh, Nick Acantis to win. He was going to go over, as they say in the business. Demetrius was going to take the dive. So they offered him 3,800 silver drachmas, which, if I remember correctly, a drachma wasn't worth all that much. So 3,800 is enough to get, like, a horse. So it's, it's not a small amount of money, but, you know... I mean, a horse is a horse, though. A horse is a horse, but this was in the 180, 138th... A little bit of dyslexia there. 138th annual Great Antonia Tournament, which was actually taking place in Egypt at the time. And it was a major Greek wrestling tournament. The Greeks and the Romans loved their wrestling. So if you were to win, you'd win quite a bit more money than 3,800 drachmas. So it's kind of interesting. It's also very interesting that this is all written down in sort of a legal contract document on the scroll. I don't know how exactly this would have been enforced if somebody decided to break the deal. But it's all there in writing, which is kind of interesting. So wrestling has been work pretty much as long as there's been wrestling. Did did this kind of offshoot from like what we think of as traditional Greco-Roman wrestling? Like was there well, this, then a, like a, a staged side of things? Yes. Uh, you know, basically eventually it evolved into uh, the greater parts of Greco-Roman wrestling, the body slams, the holds, the full Nelsons. Uh, but on a you know, much grander scale, almost sort of operatic, almost performance art. And, you know, eventually, like anything else, the carnies got involved. You would, some of the earliest pro wrestling matches would be a traveling circus or a traveling carnival would have a strong man. You would get in a ring, as in the three ring circus, which eventually, you know, we know that they still wrestle in a ring now, but it looks more like a boxing ring. Uh, is that where it in, comes from? Yes. Oh, wow. You would get into the ring, and basically people in the crowd could challenge this strong man. And, of course, it would just so happen that the bulk of the people who he picked from his challengers happened to work for the carnival. Of course, nobody knew that at the time. But a lot of these guys were legitimate strongmen. A lot of these guys could actually handle themselves in a fight if they had to. And if things got too serious, uh, the rest of the carnies would jump in. You know, if, And this isn't just for wrestling. This is just for carnivals and things in general. If any of the townsfolk got mad and there was a brawl, that's where Hey Rube came in. One of the, uh, you know, if, if let's say you and I were arguing, you were a townsman, I was a, a carny. You know martial arts. I don't. You're going to kick my ass. I would yell, hey, Rube, and all the other carnies would run over and basically help me jump you. You know, that's sort of that. And it really got incredibly crazy as the 20th century went on. Uh, by the Second World War, by the 1940s, uh, you, of course, like anything else, uh, professional wrestling was de depleted because of the draft and because of casualties. So you had promoters like Jack Pfeffer, who his whole archives is in Notre Dame. You, you can, if you ever have a chance to go and look through some of his paperwork and bookkeeping and things, it's a riot that this Catholic university has this carny wrestling promoter's entire archives. But he would book people as angels. He would book people as giants. He would book uh, what he called at the time midgets. Of course, you know, it's not PC now, we know, but those are his words. 
So is this uh, where like and... that that whole like obsession seemed to pop up in like the nineties with like little people matches kind of came from? Well, they were always they were hanging on from the carny days because you would always you'd want a strong man match. You'd want you know two big guys basically just going in there and slugging. You would want a technical match with two what they called shooters who were actual wrestlers who, you know, would study the Greco Roman style and would wrestle in college. You would want a little people match. You would want what they called a girls match. You would want two women to go out and they could vary between actually going out and trying to have a professional looking match or just rolling around on the ground, pulling each other's hair. It depended on the promoter. Uh, but at the time they considered that a balanced card. You wanted a little bit of everything this way, you know, I might want to go for the technical wrestling. You might want to go for the big guy match. Your wife might want to go to watch the women. This way there was something for everybody to draw them in. Because you're only paying once for the ticket, you get the whole card. Oh, interesting. I never thought of it like that. So, you know, and then that slowly evolved into the territory system. And, uh, you know, we can, literal books have been written on the territory system. The best one is uh, Tim Hornbaker's Death of the Territories. Uh, I don't know Tim personally. I'd love to pick his brain, but... So that's not a plug. It's just a great book if you're interested in it. Uh, and basically, these were small monopolies that popped up at the end of the 40s. 1948 was basically considered the start. All the way through until about 1989. And these were small monopolies. You had WCCW in Dallas. You had Georgia Championship Wrestling, which was in Atlanta. You had the original WWWF, three W's which was based out of New York City. And there was a bunch in between. There was about 12 to 15 at its height. And they were the only people that controlled wrestling in that territory. Oh, okay. So it's not like what we would consider consider of like modern wrestling federations or things like no. that. It would just be local. It, it was very local because no one at the time was national. I mean, remember when it started in 48, the interstate system hadn't even been built yet. Jet travel was virtually non-existent. And the big thing was there was no cable TV. There was barely TV, period, in a lot of these places. So there was no concept of a world champion. You had the NWA, you had the National Wrestling Alliance, who sanctioned a world's champion. Uh, but he would travel around. And he would go from territory to territory. He might wrestle, you know, in... WCCW in Dallas for a week then he'd have a week off and then he would travel up to uh, Portland Championship Wrestling out in Oregon and do a few dates out there uh, go to Jim Crockett Promotions out in Charlotte North Carolina do a few dates out there and so it was a big deal because in the territories a lot of these places were running the same towns every week you know Tuesday you might be in Charlotte North Carolina Wednesday you might be in Greensville South Carolina etc etc so, and you saw the same guys every week continuing these storylines because there was very little television at the time. Uh, so you'd go to the live shows and you'd see it. And then when the world champion came in, it was a big deal. Now, everyone in these territories sat on the board of the NWA. They got a vote. They all sat and decided who the champion was going to be. And for the longest time, the champion was a real wrestler he, because double crossing was a very real thing. You know, you'd go into a town and wrestle the local hotshot, and he agreed to lose, and then at the end of the day, he decides he doesn't want to lose. You had to be able to handle yourself in the match and make sure that the title didn't change hands. 
So for a very long time, uh, the champion was a, a real wrestler if he had to be. There's the famous story of Harley Race, who was world champion for years and years. He went to a restaurant, and there were two men harassing one of the female waitresses. He told them to stop. They wouldn't. He beat the hell out of the one guy. The other guy went out to his car, got a knife, stabbed Harley in the stomach. He beat the hell out of the other guy, pulled the knife out of his stomach, sat down, finished his steak dinner before he went to the hospital. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's just the type of guy Harley was. So uh, at, at this point, there's a clear like split between what we're talking about as like pro wrestling and what we're what we think of as like wrestling, like the Olympic sport or something like that, right? There is, but one would feed into another. Uh, they would go and they would get these. They would go to colleges, and they would recruit these kids who could wrestle the collegiate style, the Olympic style, and they would bring them in and they would say, you know, look at, look at. Uh, DJ Gagnon, his, you know, he's three-time NCAA All-American. He's this, he's this. And you would shine him up and you would make him what they call a baby face. In wrestling, good guys are baby faces, bad guys are heels. <laughs> I don't know exactly when that terminology started. I haven't had enough time to look into that. But basically, as long as there's been wrestling, you've had baby faces and heels. So you'd get this clean-cut kid out of college and he would be your new baby face. And you would push him to the moon and he would wrestle a strong technical style the way you're supposed to. And the heels would just cheat. <laughs> they, they would choke and use eye gouges and kick them in the balls and use steel chairs and things like that. And it was all presented as legitimate. It was all presented as on the up and up. Um, if you've ever seen blood in a wrestling match, until very recently, this, this has changed within the last five years. But until the last five years or so, that was real blood. Wow. Uh, wrestlers would keep a razor blade on them. And one wrestler would do something to distract the crowd, and the other wrestler who was supposed to bleed would cut himself. If you cut yourself on the forehead, uh, it won't scar, and you'll bleed like a stuck pig. Oh, yeah. Especially if you take an aspirin beforehand. I can attest to that. Uh, if you wanted to bleed from the mouth, this is a little bit more complicated, but you would actually take a syringe and draw some of your own blood before the match. You'd fill a condom with it, tie the condom off, keep it in a bucket of warm water so it wouldn't coagulate, and then just before your match started, you would go out and pop it into your mouth, and you'd keep it into the side of your jaw, almost like a, a dip of tobacco. Ooh. And when it was time for you to bleed from the mouth, you'd bite down on that condom, and you'd start bleeding. Woof. So, you know, and people believed. You know, I, there you go back and you watch uh, on YouTube uh, these small-town high school gyms 500, 600 people uh, in the 70s and 80s, primarily in the South, but not entirely. Uh, and the baby faces just, you know, got screwed over on some bad finish. You know, the heel cheated his way to victory. They are legitimately trying to riot. They're yeah. jumping over the barricades. They're pulling pocket knives out of their pants. They're doing everything they can. And you usually see one or two uniformed policemen just trying to get the other guy the hell out of there before they murder him on camera. Because people thought it was it was real, and they paid money for it. You can look it up from the end of World War II until about 1960. It trailed off in the late 50s. But the five highest-paid professional athletes in the United States of America every single one of those years was the world heavyweight boxing champion and four wrestlers. <laughs> every year. Wow. And, you know, and then... 
the territory system basically died in the 80s when Vince McMahon took the WWF, he dropped the third W, uh, national. He started buying up territories, he started buying up TV, especially on cable. He just said, hey, I'll give you money to put this show on TV, whereas before stations were paying for wrestling. And, and then in 1989, he didn't want to pay taxes anymore to New Jersey as a legitimate sport. So he said, oh, yeah, by the way, it's all fixed. <laughs> a lot of people knew before then. You know, people have always known on some level. A lot of people believed and a lot of people want to believe. But people have always known on some level. But in 1989, the cat was well and truly out of the bag. Fair. And then that led us into probably the last great era for wrestling, what they call the Monday Night Wars. So is that why wrestling is always on Mondays? Well, it started on Mondays originally because USA wanted something on Mondays. So, and Vince McMahon wanted a live wrestling program. So they started Monday Night Raw. Oh, it, okay. Yeah, I remember the mention of Monday Night Raw. I wasn't super into it, but I mean, you couldn't grow up in the 90s and not hear about it. Exactly. It's still going today. It's actually the longest running episodic television show in history. 52 weeks out of the year, they have an episode of Monday Night Raw. Uh, I mean, even more than The Simpsons? Yeah, because The Simpsons, remember, is only like 20 episodes a a season. Oh, yeah, that's fair. So uh, USA got what it wanted. It it got a show on Mondays, which it's still to this day, even though the ratings are comparatively in the toilet, it's still the highest rated show on USA by uh, quite a bit. And uh, Vince got his live show, and it was... Most pay-per-views are Sunday night or Sunday evening, you know, five, six, seven o'clock, uh, just like the one last night. So the next day, you could just immediately pick up your storylines from the pay-per-view. And then when WCW uh, decided to run head-to-head, well, decided to try to compete, Ted Turner, who owned it, said, well, we're just going to run head-to-head. And Ted Turner owned a bunch of TV networks, so he put Monday Nitro on... Uh, versus it directly. They ran the same time slot. So that's why they call it the Monday Night Wars, because you were actually physically flipping back and forth between the two stations. And they do a lot of little fun things to mess with each other, like TBS, Turner Station, would always start on the fives. The big Saturday wrestling show, uh, WCW Saturday Night, started at 6.05 on Saturday. Because <laughs> that way, you're already five minutes in, and when the show ends, you're already five minutes into the next show. So they used to do little things like that. They'd go on the air earlier, they would reveal the results to each other's matches. Uh, but that was, without a doubt, the high point. Um, right now, between all of the modern federations, you have wrestling on TV, if you know where to look for it, uh, about five nights a week, pretty consistently. All right, and so so we get into modern wrestling. And my yes. experience with modern wrestling is, you know, a, a PlayStation game back in the 90s, and... I seem to vaguely remember there was the WWF and the WWE, and that's all we ever talked about. I mean, I, I remember The Rock and Triple H and uh, you know some of those big names, I mean, Hulk Hogan. and So, so where are we at today? Well, WWE is still alive, uh, still the big one. Uh, they, they were the WWF, and then they got sued by the World Wildlife Federation, <laughs> and they lost. Uh, so they had to change to WWE. Uh, it was 2002, I believe. I'd have to look at the exact year, but I believe it was 2002. Fair. Uh, so now they're World Wrestling Entertainment, which 
I still call them WWF. It's just old habits die hard. Yeah. Uh, they have Monday Night Raw still, and they have Friday Night SmackDown. And then they have their uh, minor league, their developmental league, which is NXT. That's on Wednesday nights. You also have the new kid in town. You have AEW, All Elite Wrestling. And even though they don't want to admit it, they are the successors to WCW. Uh, They're on a Turner network. They're based out of the South, although they're based out of Jacksonville instead of Charlotte. They are run by the son of Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream. Uh, Cody Rhodes is is their uh, vice president, executive vice president, and their booker. And they're okay. I don't. Uh, their style of wrestling is interesting. I prefer the more you know Southern style, seventies and eighties. Looks like a real fight, and if you suspend your disbelief without going too crazy about it, you can believe that it's a real fight. AEW is more of what we call the modern style. Uh, A lot of gymnastic-based moves, a lot of aerial moves, which are very impressive, which are very difficult to pull off physically. But it doesn't look like a fight. Nobody sells anything. Selling is another inside term. Basically, if I fake hit you, you act like you got hit. That's called selling. Fair. Um, Nobody sells anything. Everybody pops up from a million different moves. And it's just... It's more comedy, haha, than it is wrestling. But, you know, it, they draw decent ratings, and there's a market for that. Okay, fair. Uh, you also had, before the coronavirus ended the world, you had the revival of the NWA. Oh, wait, wait. I know this one. Straight out of Compton, right? <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> uh, this was the revival of the National Wrestling Alliance. But do you know who owns the National Wrestling Alliance? You'll, you'll be interested to know this one. No. It is one William Patrick Corgan. Huh. You know who that is? No, I'm looking them up right now. Billy Corgan, Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, interesting. That's awesome. He is a huge wrestling fan. He, much like myself, wasn't very happy with the current product, so he spent an ass load of his own money and bought all the rights, all the intellectual property, all the trademarks to the NWA and did it the way they used to do it. He was renting out a public broadcasting studio in Georgia and they would film about eight weeks worth of TV in one shot because that's what they used to do back in the day. You would just rent out a studio, put about 200 people in there to get a crowd, tape a month's worth of TV, then go on the road and do house shows for a month, do live shows for a month and come back and tape another week's worth, month's worth of TV. So he runs a wrestling federation and he's still doing Smashing Pumpkins? How does that guy just not collapse from exhaustion at this point. He, he's also a fashion designer. He's big into turtleneck sweaters and scarves. I almost bought a few of his scarves, but they sell out very quickly. Uh, so he just doesn't sleep. I'm guessing that, yes. Uh, unfortunately, they were uh, closed down. Not closed down, but they're on hiatus due to the uh, coronavirus pandemic. But they still have the line- lineage going all the way back to 1948 and the original territory system, which is kind of fun. He owns all that now. Fair. So uh, for those of us playing the home game, we got the WWE, we got the AEW, we got the NWA. Are those the only federations? Those are the only national federations. The, the fun part about wrestling is everybody has their own. There's independent wrestling federations everywhere. Uh, the one local to me is called True Wrestling. They run out of literally a silk mill uh, about a quarter of a mile from my parents' house. (laughs) 
And it's very cool because with the exception of if you wrestle in the WWE, which is a whole, their contract situation is a whole thing we could do three hours on and we won't. But unless you wrestle for the WWE, you are an independent contractor, a true independent contractor. You can take bookings pretty much anywhere as long as you don't have a date clash. So if you go to these little independent shows, one, you're going to see a lot of local guys that are, you know, some of them are just doing it as a hobby, but a lot of them are trying to actually make it big. And chances are you're going to see two to three legitimate people uh, on the top of the card that you've seen on TV every week who are coming in to make a little bit of extra money, but who still are putting on a damn good show. And they'll use, and it's old school. They'll wrestle a local guy. They'll make him look good. They'll make it look like he has a chance, and then at the end they'll beat him. Uh, the last time we went to a show on True, uh, Ace Austin from uh, TNA, he was actually there with the TNA belt, which was pretty cool. And he had a fantastic match, uh, tore the house down. But so there's that. You know, a lot of them, of course, are down because, you know, you can't even 50 to 100 people you can't put into a building nowadays, especially when you're sweating on top of each other and coughing on each other. So a lot of them are suspended currently. But w when things open up, uh, check out your local wrestling federation. Uh, tickets are usually dirt cheap. Food's dirt cheap. And it's a fun night out, you know, once a month or twice a month or however often they run. Wow. I think the last time I encountered wrestling, uh, I mean, this is hugely nerdy, but as you are probably aware, I'm a big fan of the show Arrow. Just a wee bit. Uh, yeah, and the actor who plays the Green Arrow in Arrow, Steve Amell, back in 2015 did a, uh, an episode of Raw where he was up against Stardust. Yes. Yeah. Who is Cody Rhodes. Uh, who is running AEW, and Stephen Amell actually has wrestled a few times for AEW. That's awesome. He's been on a few of their pay-per-views, which makes my wife very happy because Stephen Amell in short shorts and trunks, just my wife is all about it. I, yep, <laughs> yep. I mean, I can't argue with it. No, he's, I mean, a, he's a very beautiful man. And he's a pretty good wrestler. I mean, as far as actors making the transition go, because there was the whole David Arquette fiasco, in 2000, 2001, and I'm sorry, David, I know you're a nice guy. I know you've given a lot of money to wrestlers who have been injured in the ring, but you suck as a wrestler. <laughs> you're awful. Please stop. Mark's hot take right here, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not the only one, but that's just, uh, you know, I'm going to be blunt about it. You're an actor. You're not a wrestler. Yes, there is a lot of crossover. But you can't pull it off, brother. I'm sorry. No, no, I think the only way... I mean, Steve Amell did a bunch of that stuff like right around when Arrow was really popular. Like he did, uh, what is it, Ultimate Ninja Warrior, and he, yep. he, he was in Raw. Um, and I mean, uh, any of us who are big fans of the show while it was running... Uh, you know, we, I know uh, our buddy AJ and I used to watch his like training videos as he got ready to do all of his own stunts on the show, so... Um, it, it was, it was, we got pretty pumped to see him on, uh, on raw. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it's great mainstream advertisement, you know, for both. I mean, even to this day, raw, the ratings are in the toilet, but they're still drawn between 2.0 and 2.2 million people every week, which is nothing to sneeze at. No, that's, that's impressive. That's a down year for raw. So, you know, it's great crossover for everybody. Does the pay-per-view model still stand today? Uh, it depends on the federation. The WWE has their own on-demand streaming service Ooh. called WWE Network. 
which I originally purchased for all of the archived content. The WWE owns literally millions of hours of taped wrestling and from the 1970s all the way up to yesterday. And the bulk of it is in the archives on the network. It's $10 a month, so it's like, eh, okay. And with that, with that $10 a month, you actually get all of the pay-per-views for free. It's included in the price. You still can buy them as a pay-per-view, but they're $65 a shot. Woof. So I don't know why anybody would. Like, literally, you buy the network, you watch two pay-per-views, you've come out ahead. Uh, AEW, on the other hand, they still have a traditional pay-per-view model because they don't do as many. WWE does 14 a year. AEW does four. Okay. Uh, one of theirs is coming up this Saturday, and my friends and I were all going to kick in. And theirs are 50 bucks, but four times a year, 50 bucks, you get two or three guys. Even during COVID, you know, you keep it small. You get a couple guys to come over. Everybody throws in 10 bucks. It's not a big deal. Uh the NWA was running pay-per-views uh, through Fight TV, which was another streaming service. Theirs were a lot more reasonable. Theirs were $25, and they were doing a pre-order special where if you had pre-ordered it, I forget how many weeks in advance. I did it every time, but they were only 15 So $15 for three hours, it's like going to a movie, basically. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty good. But so the answer is, eh, sort of. Does it still exist? <laughs> But I still call them pay-per-views because I'm old. Oh, yeah. Uh, the funniest part about wrestling to me, and the reason why I, you know, I've always been a little bit skeptical, even though I'm just insufferably positive to learn anything, is because of the impact that wrestling's had on martial arts. Um, yes. <laughs> because I, I, I've been doing martial arts for 26 years, I think, at this point. And, uh, I mean, from day dot, you'd have the, the big you know, big kid in, in the class go, well, you know, my dad and I watched wrestling last night and I don't think this move can be defended against. And so, you know, I have like three different defenses against, uh, you know, a full Nelson and I know how to get out of a rear naked choke. And it's, it's kind of hilarious to me to see this thing that's been like a, a huge cultural phenomenon, uh, like deeply influence, not just like pop culture, but, you know, I've got I've I've had former classmates who have gotten you know jumped in a, in a fight scenario, and uh, have had people try to put them in all of these crazy wrestling moves you see in WWE, uh, to to the frequency where we really had to start training on how to avoid them. <laughs> yeah, well, there's always been an insane crossover. I mean, you go in the mid '80s with the Midnight Express. You you had uh, Sand Lane who, by his own admission, I think was only a brown belt or an orange belt. That, you know, by his own admission, he wasn't very far along, but he was the quote-unquote karate guy, and they would have to work karate spots into his match, which are laughable when you go back and watch them. Now, even I know they're laughable, and I know nothing about karate. Oh, yeah. Um, you In the early 90s, you had Steve Blackman. I'll actually have to send you some Steve Blackman tapes. We originally liked him because he's from Pennsylvania, he's from the Harrisburg area, but he is like an insane degree, I want to say fourth or fifth degree black belt. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I would definitely watch it. He would come out and he would wrestle like a martial arts style, and his intro, they would turn the lights off, and he would have these glow-in-the-dark nunchucks, <laughs> and he would do a nunchuck demonstration that was unreal. 
And so he wrestled for a little while. Then you had Dan Severin and Ken Shamrock who came in and they wrestled for a little while. And they were some of the pioneers of the original UFC, the no rules like street fight UFC. Oh, woof. So you had those guys coming in and doing triangle chokes and ankle locks and things. And it was like, wow, all right. You know, we're used to Hulk Hogan just dropping a leg on somebody. So this is cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, U- UFC, <laughs> we should probably do an episode on UFC. Maybe we can oh, get absolutely. one of our, our, our buddies in on that one because uh, we got some friends who are, who are into it. But so, so like, what's next? What, uh, what else you got for me, Mark? I, I'm more, you know, I, I've, I, you've turned me around. I'm not as much of a skeptic as I was at the beginning of this episode. I mean, the big thing is, you know, if, if you see it on TV, just remember that like anything else, a, a good match, I should stress, a good match is going to tell a story. Uh, and I will give you the example last night. We don't have time, obviously, because I've rambled on too long, as I always do. <laughs> we don't have time to do a full review of the pay-per-view last night, but I will pick out one uh one of the matches from last night it was actually a women's tag team match. It was for the women's tag team championship. So uh, two ladies fighting two ladies. And the story there was you had one team who were best friends, uh, but, you know, some things happened and they started to question each other. And then you had another team uh, of heels, of, of bad guys who hated each other. Uh, ironically, Shayna Baszler was one of them. She has recently come over from UFC, so she's fighting a very martial arts-based style. Wow. Uh, the two friends who are sort of going through something got in each other's way. Uh, Shayna Baszler came out, literally choked one of them to, quote-unquote, passing out, and the titles changed hands, and the two friends who like each other now are kind of like, hey, what the fuck, and the two women that hated each other are like, hey, we're the champs. Maybe we can make a run of it. <laughs> Uh, so it was a so-so match with an okay story, and it had a really actually interesting finish. Baszler uh, used the one one lady's arm to choke out her own tag team partner. So it was like a forced rear naked choke with a third party involved. It was a very creative finish. Oh, that's fair. I mean, you, you gotta you gotta admire the stage presence at the very least. Yes, and so you know, just a good match will tell a good story. And if you can suspend your disbelief just a little bit, like a movie. You can get lost in it. I mean, still, you know, I, I sound like a total mark when I say this, but 30 years later, the lights go out and I hear that gong, I get goosebumps for The Undertaker. <laughs> I, I know he's not a dead man. I know he's not a wizard. I know he can't teleport, but I still just lose my shit when The <laughs> Undertaker comes out. I mean, that's fair. We've all got something that reduces us to our childhood. Yeah. So, I mean, it is what it is. It, it's... Not something that I talk about too openly because it does still kind of have a stigma on it, e- even though despite the ratings throughout history, I mean, even in the 90s when combined the two shows were drawing 10 million people a week, it can't get advertisers uh, just because of the stigma attached to it. But, you know, as a lark, as something to not take super serious, it- it's a lot of fun or it can be anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think you mentioned it at the beginning of the app that it's it's kind of got this like redneck stigma to it. But yes, I mean, I know people who are just as passionate about like following their characters and following the wrestlers and and understanding, uh, you know, uh, how things work. And I mean, it's I don't find it much different than any other organized sport. I mean, I don't get any of them, but that's fine. <laughs> Yeah, in a lot of ways it is. I mean, the big thing, uh, you know, one last insider term for the for the week, the, the big thing was what they call kayfabe. And kayfabe is basically the illusion. Kayfabe is 
the character is real. Like, for example, like you can keep kayfabe in anything. It's a wrestling term, but you can keep kayfabe in anything. Uh, you know, if your little cousin comes over and is talking about Santa Claus and you humor her and, you know, talk about Santa Claus with her, that's keeping kayfabe. Um, you know, we broke kayfabe here. We're talking about how we were recording episodes ahead of time. You know, <laughs> if, we, if we had lied and been like, oh, yeah, this is this week's episode and we're recording it two days before, that's keeping kayfabe. That's really the only difference between wrestling and a quote-unquote legitimate sport. Ma- major, major difference. Uh, but with the internet and with social media nowadays, there is there really is no kayfabe. Yeah. You know, wrestlers' social media accounts, their Twitter accounts, that's them for the most part. A, a few of them tweet in character, but for the most part, it, it's them. Oh, yeah. I mean, I fully expect at some point, Mark, that we'll be recording the same week, but... You know, it's good to have a few in the can. Just oh you know. no, I'm not knocking it. I just, you know, that, that, that's an example. You know, we, we oh, broke yeah. kayfabe there a little bit, but there's nothing wrong with that. Kayfabe was broken in 1989. The, the purists <laughs> will tell you so. Yeah, it's been 31 years. It's fine, guys. It's perfectly fine. We we all survived. We're still here. Yeah, exactly. Mark All right, that, well, do you have any final thoughts? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I don't think I'm ever going to be a huge fan of pro wrestling, but, you know, the few times that I've gotten excited about it, I mean, it's it's been fun. So, uh, you know, don't knock it till you try it, I guess. We'll watch the Royal Rumble. I'll, when the coronavirus is over, I'll come up one year for the Royal Rumble. 30 guys in the ring at once, throwing each other over the top rope, and by the end of the night, even you'll be excited. Oh, Everybody yeah. loves the Royal Rumble. I, I mean, you couldn't get through being like a 90s or, or early 2000s kid without playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and some sort of wrestling game. So, Hey, next week, Tony Hawk. I know. I Actually, I've been watching it tick down on my PS4, man. I, I was very upset I missed the demo, but I just was away that weekend and wasn't able to get it. But I'm still going to buy the game, so. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's actually, it's, the graphics are so good that it it's taking me a while to get back into the control scheme. <laughs> well, hey, you know, you'll have this. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. We, we, we should probably do a, a whole episode on just the, the skateboarding phenomenon in the 90s. Oh, yeah, we could talk about the attempts of my fat ass to ride a skateboard down the street. Oh, yeah, same here. One of the worst beatings my mother ever gave me when she found it. Yeah, yeah, I had a I had uh, a nice Walmart skateboard that had a great white shark on it. Yeah, I, was my, mine might have actually been from Walmart, too, now that you mention it. It was a piece of garbage. Yeah, not great. <laughs> all right, well, that is all for this week, ladies and gentlemen. We appreciate you indulging us here at the Whitney Whiskey cast. So thank you all again. Uh, be sure to subscribe, as we said at the top of the episode, you know, Instagram, Facebook, uh, iTunes, Spotify, whatever your method of choice is. Yeah, yeah. And if you can uh, go out there, throw us a, a rating out on iTunes. It actually really helps us kind of get signal boosted a little bit and uh, uh, get our names out there. I think I think when I set up our podcast, we're in like the comedy, educational, and leisure categories. So... Yeah, anything you guys can do to just kind of you know, give us that that f- thumbs up, that five stars out there would be awesome. That would be fantastic. We would certainly appreciate that. Uh, a big shout out to Nuno Henry Silva for the intro and the outro as always. Uh, we'll have the links up to his SoundCloud. Check him out. Listen to his stuff. He's very, very good. Yeah, he's pretty awesome. And so next week, I believe we're going to do some legitimate combat sports, are we not? Ooh, are we? 
You want well, to talk I about thought, martial arts? I thought we said at the end of last week we're going to make this sort of a quasi-two-parter. We're going to talk about uh, scripted combat, and then we're going to talk about real combat. Yeah, let's do it. Let's uh, let's do like a... I have so much to say about martial arts at this point. But yeah, let's, uh, let's do like an initial episode on martial arts. I'd love to talk through like some of the history that I know and... I won't even touch weaponry. I'll just talk about like hand-to-hand combat and uh, you know its development and culture over the years. And this will be good because this will give me a uh, a week to do some proper research. I, I did a little research for this episode for dates and things, but a lot of this I just know from being a mark all these years. So martial arts will give me an opportunity to do some proper research for next week. Yeah, and you know, Mark, it, uh, if we end up liking the topic enough to do a follow-up on it, I know a few martial artists who might have uh, some opinions no. to share. So Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe we can uh, maybe we can look at doing uh, like a guest spot at some point uh, with somebody who kind of runs a martial arts school or something and get kind of a, like a local community feel on it. Well, that could be a very, very cool. So tune in next week for episode seven, which is going to be martial arts and whiskey. Or I suppose like we should say an introduction to martial arts and whiskey. Oh, yeah, exactly. But I don't recommend combining those two anytime soon. No, no. And you shouldn't. If you're, if you're going to attempt to wrestle, which you shouldn't, don't try it at home. But if you're going to anyway, don't, don't, don't drink. Take yeah. it from someone that may or may not have attempted it in the past. Let's just say as a general rule, don't punch and drink. Yes, uh, it very rarely ends well. Exactly. Well, all right, that is it for this week, ladies and gentlemen. So, salut. And cheers. you do okay there was just a small fire (laughs) we're okay i I may or may not have dropped my cigar on the wood floor and it was starting to spark oh good do you want me to restart (laughs) but it's at well that's up to you do you you need to restart or do you think you can cut that all out (laughs)